Let's open our Bibles this morning to the last chapter of Philippians. This will be the last in the long series that's been going on in Philippians. Kind of tie up the whole, uh, the whole of Paul's epistle here in the last few verses. It is chapter 4, and today I'm going, to, I'm going to read from 10 to 23 just to tie in a couple things from the early portion. We'll spend uh, a, a lot of our time just in the last couple verses there. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we go to the Word of God? <laughs> Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Open our eyes that we might see clearly that our hearts might understand what it is you have for us, that we might uh, put ourselves here in this book and see the words that Paul has written to his favorite group of people as words to us, as your word to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So from Philippians chapter 4, I'll read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. As we saw previously in in our section uh, a couple weeks ago... um, Paul is concerned about contentment here, and we looked at several ways and and standards of how to be content, and there's one more that we have to look at uh, just to tie up that that portion of it, and then we can look at at Paul's uh, final remarks there. So one of the marks of the contented life that we find in Paul is being preoccupied with the well-being of others. Not preoccupied with yourself, but being preoccupied with the well-being of others. Paul says, I have learned to be content. Remember, learned to be. 
He just didn't come to him when he became a Christian, but over time, in the application of his faith and in the trials that he faced, he learned how to be content. Paul's desire for contentment of the Philippians, if we go back to the first chapter, he prays that their love might abound more and more. And it's the love both for the Lord and for one another that he is praying about. And in chapter 2, he gets very specific. He says, in fact, let's turn over just a couple pages, chapter 2, verse 3. And we'll see that. Chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Now, where in the world did Paul get an idea like this? Look at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then the great Christ hymn in, in the next six verses that elaborates on that. So Paul says, this is one of those attitudes that produces fruit in your life. One of those things that goes, and in a sense, as we've said, adds to your spiritual account before the Lord. The Lord is very excited and he's there's there's joy in, in heaven so to speak when we produce this fruit when we are more concerned about the needs and the lives of others jesus said these are basically treasures in heaven now paul was a man who was content because he wasn't concerned with consuming he wasn't concerned with what he got he was concerned more with what the philippians got now, yes, he was the recipient of their generosity. Remember, the Philippians were some of the poorest people in that geographic area. And even when Paul, as he mentions, was in Thessalonica, which had pretty good material means, it was the Philippians who were sending him a gift to sustain his ministry in Thessalonica. So the Philippians, they were, they were pretty poor. And Paul says... It's this blessing that you give out of your sacrifice that's going to go to your account before the Lord. The Lord is pleased with that. It's a fragrant fragrant offering before the Lord. Now let's look at, at something that will help us understand this a little bit better. You want to keep your finger in Philippians and turn back to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. And this, this will help us understand why Paul is excited about their involvement because of what it means for them. Not what it means for Paul. Paul says, I've learned, to, you know, I'm comfortable with nothing. I'm comfortable with, with a lot. But, you know, you in your sacrifice have been, as, as I mentioned, it's like they went to their secret stash in the mattress and pulled out some and sent it off to Paul. They heard more. Paul was in trouble again. They went to the secret stash once more and pulled it out and sent it off to Paul. Paul says, that's credited to your account before the Lord. Um, and this is, this is one of those places that helps us understand this. Proverbs 11, verse 24 He says, um, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. Now the image here is of a farmer who takes his money and he goes down to the feed store. 
And for any of you who have worked on a farm or uh, have family or anything like that, you, you understand this. You go down to the feed store and you buy seed corn, okay? I'll just reference corn because I have planted one field in my life by myself. It was a pitiful field. I want to tell you what. It was a two-row planter, and the rows went like this. And, and uh, you know, it, it did grow corn, but it, it was the ugliest field in the whole farm. Okay? Um, maybe that's why I was just the guy that stacked the hay and not the guy that planted the corn on a regular basis. Um, but it's the guy that goes down to the feed store, and he takes all of his money, and he buys seed corn. Now, what does he do with that? Does he go home and, and keep the seed corn in the barn and say, well, man, this is my, my, my stash. This is my reserve of, of my resources. No, he takes that seed corn and he throws it into the ground. Okay, remember at this time, they didn't have planters to, to attach to the tractor. They would sow the field like this. So it's almost as if, oh, he's just throwing it into the ground. Well, that's what they did because nothing would be, a re- there would be no return on that seed corn, on that investment until he did what? Throw it into the ground. But once he threw it into the ground, that one kernel of corn produces a stalk. And on that stalk, you might have one or you might get two ears. And out of that ear of corn, there might be a hundred kernels of corn on each ear. So suddenly that one has turned into a hundred or turned into two hundred. And that's what he's saying here. There is one who scatters, but what? Increases all the more because he's more concerned about others. That's, that's, that's the application here in Paul. In verse 25, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. It's this giving away, Paul says, and the author here in Proverbs says that until you do that, you're just not going to understand. Until you sow, you will not understand what it means to reap. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. He says, because you do that, it's a demonstration of your concern about others, about others. And Paul's going to relate a little bit more about how he has found contentment and what their gift has meant to him. Look at chapter 4, verse 18. It's not quite as clear in the English here as as it is in the Greek, but I'll lay it out for you. Paul says, But I have received everything in full and have abundance, and I am amply supplied. So this is classic Paul. He does it in three steps. And Paul does this often in a lot of things. He says, I've received everything. These are three verbs, and they become more intensive as it goes along. I have everything in full, I have abundance, and I am amply supplied. So each time Paul says that, it gets greater. And these are all banking terms from the first century that, that, that the language was used there. Um, in fact, he says, I, have, I, have, I, I abound in surplus things, in surplus materials, because their gift has been so great to him. Now, I don't just have surplus, but he does what? He abounds in surplus. This is, uh, look, go, if you go read from Ephesians chapter 2, you see the same type of thing. Paul builds those words again and again. Not just, I'm full, but I'm full in abundance. I have surplus of abundance. That's the generosity that the Philippians have shown to Paul. 
And, and, and Paul says, this is accredited to your account. Yes, I'm making use of it for the gospel, but the Lord is glorified in the gifts that you have given here. Now, let's look here. Uh, My God shall supply, verse 19, all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, if um, let's, uh, let's look at it this way. It's according to his riches. It's not out of his riches. Now think, there's a big difference there. I go to Bill Gates. I, I, is he still the richest man in the world? Or, or Amazon guy, or, or one of those guys. I go to those guys, and I say, hey, give me something out of your riches. What might he give me? Oh, reach into his pocket and give me his change, because that's out of his riches. If I ask Bill Gates, Bill Gates, give me something according to your riches. According would be what? In accord with, consistent with, on par with. That's a big difference than out of. Okay? It is according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus that God gives to us. It is not out of the riches. It might be a pittance if it was out of the riches. It is according to or in accord with or on par of the riches of the glory in Christ that he gives us. Now, you might be thinking, well, okay, Rand, I'm waiting for some riches that are in accord with what God has. Since he's the owner of all things, a thousand hill, cattle on a thousand hills, when do I get in accord with that? Well... Don't always think it's material things. Paul is speaking about material things here. But it's the riches that are his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It is those things which come to us according to the riches of our Heavenly Father that are gifted to us through the work of Jesus Christ in accordance with all that the Lord has. So contentment... Just to finish up that portion, contentment comes with being concerned about others. It comes from trusting in the providence of a sovereign God. It comes from being independent of our circumstances that surround us in the world. It comes from being sustained by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from understanding that our spiritual blessings and and the works that we do go to our account before the Lord to give Him glory and praise. Now, that's just to tie up the, the loose ends there on, on contentment. Let's look at how Paul closes this letter. Verse 20. There's one word that is repeated twice in these four verses, and it's a very important word. Look at verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, and then 22, all the saints greet you. Now, if someone were to ask you, say, were you a saint? Are you a saint? You might think, oh, I don't live up to sainthood. You know? And besides, in our culture, in our context, when do you get to be a saint? You've got to be dead. And then I think in the Roman, uh, Roman faith, you have to have so many miracles that are attributed to you, and you have to have passed away for, for so long. Um, that is the context in which we understand saint for the most part within our society. But that's very different 
than the way that Paul uses it here. And in fact, he uses it 60 times in his letters. It is his favorite title for whom? For us, for living believers. And you think, well, nobody should call me saint. Well, you are a saint. Why? Because you are in Christ. Because you belong to Christ. You know, in in Roman uh, Catholic theology, a saint is a member of the church who has been assumed into eternal bliss and may be the object of general veneration. Now, I saw a lot of saints in Spain. Um, They were usually made of wood and painted or had gold laid over them. Okay, they were statues. And they would say, saints, you could go in Santiago. We went uh, in the basement of the cathedral, and there were the bones of whom? St. James, okay? At least that's what they said was in the box. They didn't let me look. You know? um, but that was St. James because he had been, because of his holiness, after he died, he was then venerated as something special. Paul says, you know what? We're all saints because of the work of Christ. That's what he calls us very plainly and very clearly. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, the word saint simply means the one who is set apart. Set apart in whom? Set apart for what? Set apart in Christ. For what? The work of Christ. That is who we are. We are saints in Jesus Christ. Saints are not to be worshipped, but saints are the ones who come to worship. We come to worship our Heavenly Father. And so, this last portion here. Now, remember, Scripture is, has, uses an economy of words. There are not a lot of large explanations. My, my favorite illustration of that is uh, in, in, uh, in Matthew at the resurrection where it just simply states, and the tombs were open and the dead were seen walking around town. It's just one verse. There's no elaboration on it, no explanation. It just states it as fact. Okay? So Scripture often uses what we term as an economy of words. So, because everything is very important. Now, why does Paul spend some of his words on this phrase? All the saints greet you, verse 22, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, what is significant or so significant that Paul feels he needs to mention that there are believers in Caesar's household? Well... Who was Caesar at this time? Some nutcase named Nero, okay? Um, I I don't usually use the word nutcase in a sermon, but it kind of describes him, okay? He fancied himself as a god. Now, it it got to the point where all the Caesars began to think of themselves as divine. Nero was particularly um, uh, focused upon his divinity, and he demanded that all those in the Roman Empire worship him. Now, who would be in the household of Caesar? Well, the household of Caesar is a larger term than just Caesar and Mrs. Caesar and the kids, okay? I don't know how else to put that. But the household would indicate all those who were in his employment, all of those who were his 
what did I, I made a, a list here. Courtiers, princes, higher-ups in his personal court, judges, cooks, food preparers, food tasters, uh, musicians, custodians, builders, people who attended to his stables, soldiers uh, who guarded him, those who managed his financial affairs. All of these people were considered to be in the household of Caesar uh, and, and part of this system. Now imagine, here you are within the household of Caesar, and you are required to worship him. But you come to Christ, and now what's happened in your heart? You, you cannot worship Caesar because he's just a man. Your heart belongs to Christ. You have to worship the Son of God. So Paul, you can imagine there's, there's some special um, exhilaration in his heart when he, he, he finds out that there are people in Caesar's household that comes to Christ. So he communicates that to the church at Philippi. And Philippi, you know, the, those believers are like, this is fantastic. People are coming to Christ in Caesar's household. Now, how would that happen? Well, there are probably two different ways that they came to Christ, or, or there's one way you come to Christ. There's probably two different means here. Uh, Paul is there, and remember, he is chained as a prisoner for some two years at this point. Now, uh, and we've mentioned this before, you're, you're chained to Paul, and it's your shift, and you're on an eight-hour shift, let's say, and there's one on either side. And so Paul can't get away. He's under house arrest or you're in his house, so to speak, in the apartment which Paul is in. And you are imprisoned there with Paul. Paul's the prisoner, but you're imprisoned with Paul. And what's Paul going to do? He's going to tell you about why he's a prisoner. Okay, and elaborate on his theology and, and, and talk to you about the depths of the love of Christ and how your life can be changed. And, and you know... I, I, I think it's rare that we have a chance to talk to somebody on this length and in this depth in our society about the things of Christ. But day after day, they would, Paul would talk to the soldiers who were chained to him hour after hour. So you can imagine that th some of them come to Christ. Some of the Praetorian guard, it, the, the ones that were the, the ones who guarded Caesar, the closest soldiers around Caesar, actually came to Christ as well. So since his imprisonment, the gospel has been known in, Christ, in, in Rome. But also, before Paul got there, the gospel had hit Rome as well. So there, was plent, there were plenty of people who believed. And plenty of people who had come to Christ. And we see at the end of the chapter uh, 16 of Romans, he sends off this list and he says, I want to greet all these people. In fact, let's look there real, real briefly uh, because the list is very extensive. Romans chapter 16. So you have some people converted through Paul's work. You have some people that were already Christians when Paul arrived uh, as a prisoner. And in this, uh, the, the end here of Romans, he sends these greetings um, to the group of believers that are already there. Phoebe, Phoebe, he says, verse 3, Prisca and Aquila, they risk their lives. Um, Ep Eponetus, greet Mary, 
uh, Andronicus, Unius, uh, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Stachus, uh, Apellus, uh, the household of uh, Aristobulus, Herodian, uh, Narcissus, Tryphiana, uh, Tryphosa, uh, Persis, Rufus. Okay, Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Now that's how you want to be remembered for all eternity, that Paul says you are a choice man in the Lord. Uh, Asnicritus, uh, Phlegon, uh, Hermes, Petrobius, Hermas, uh, Greet uh, Philologus, and Julia, Neras, uh, Olympus. And how do you greet them? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay? These, are the, these are the great believers in Rome. Uh, there and Paul says they're already there, so he sends his greetings to them. Now, um, as we look at at uh, um, Paul and some other portions of Scripture, Paul did not was not always in agreement with every believer. Okay, and I think this is something that that we need to make sure that we understand here. Not every believer that we will associate with is our best friend. I mean, we're tied together in Christ with them. And we are, it is our responsibility to treat them in the love of the Lord and to care for them. Even though we might not agree with them, we might have great disagreements with them, but we are to care for them. And, and we find this in the church kind of hard because uh, often we'll be in disagreement with somebody and how do we treat them? You know, it's easier just not to talk to them, Okay. But they're our brother and sister in Christ. Shouldn't we go and we speak to them and, and treat them just the way that we are? Acknowledge we don't agree on certain things. Acknowledge we're at, at differences here. But we are in unity in Christ Jesus. And we are expected within the church to love those who we disagree with personally. Love those whose personality is so different from ours that we just don't like to hang around with them. But we love them in Christ. And that's a that's a a trait that we need to, um, to, to have grow in our lives. How do you love somebody in Christ that you don't like? Mm, okay. You have to work on that. But if you don't do it, you actually are in sin. If you don't extend yourself and, and to love somebody, if you shut them off within the church as a brother and sister in Christ just over something or something you don't agree with, then you are in sin. And now finally, these great words right at the end. Grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. How many times is Jesus mentioned in this letter and the letters of Paul? Again and again and again. This letter begins with Christ, it ends with Christ. He addresses those who are in Christ. Their standing depends upon Christ. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Paul is a bondservant of Christ. Paul's desire is that Christ be magnified in his body, in his life, in his death, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul desires to know what? Christ and him crucified, to know his sufferings, to be made into the likeness of Christ. He tells everyone to stand fast in the Lord, to have the mind of Christ, and that the grace of Christ be with you. This book, Paul's life, everything is all about 
Christ. To live is Christ. But Paul says it gets better because to die is gain. He writes to his favorite group of people, a group of pilgrims on the way to the celestial city. He says, live in accordance with the things I have taught you. Live in accordance with Christ because you're going to see him one day and you want to be made right when you get there. So let's pray. Lord, we read these, these words about contentment and about your providence, about our care for the lives of others. And we see it in the life of Paul again and again and again. And we see it in the life of his disciples, the church at Philippi. How they were concerned with Paul and they were concerned with the spread of the gospel. And how Paul greets this long list of believers and he is concerned about them and loves them. He doesn't always agree with them, but he loves them. And he wants them to, to know the things of Christ and to grow in the grace of Christ. Lord, you've called us here that we might know the things of Christ, that we might grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that his will would be preeminent and take charge of all things within our lives, not just some areas, but that all of our hearts, all of our thoughts, all of our actions would be under his control. Heavenly Father, fix these things in our minds so that we are not conformed by the things of the world, but we are transformed by the things of Christ more and more into his likeness. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.